Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.56 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 16th of November, 2020. This is episode 322 of Bitcoin, and we now have lightning auctions. Yeah, that's right, people. Lightning auctions. This was announced, when was this? Oh, November the 13th uh, from Scarcity. That's scarce.city. On Twitter, it's at uh, scarce.city. S-C-A-R-C-E-D-O-T-C-I-T-Y. All right, so their tweet basically says, Announcing lightning auctions. Minimal fee Bitcoin auctions made possible by lightning. Here's the TLDR, and they show a picture of, I guess, the beta screen or their test screen. Uh, It shows a picture of the Mona Lisa, and the current winning bid is 495 Satoshis or $437.62 by Claps McGee. I'm digging the optimism here. I really am. (laughs) Almost dollar parity on sats. That's what we're looking for. Uh, so they do have a write-up about this. So let's let's dig into what this uh, lightning auction stuff is all about. This is by Chris Tramount, uh, I would assume, from uh, Scarcity. Anyway, so this is scarce.city forward slash blog. Uh, you can find it there. It says, uh, Mr. T is a pretty tough guy, but even he sheds a tear when his favorite Bitcoin artist sells their work for Ethereum. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. T isn't a maximalist. He's just a man of principle. Bitcoin art should be sold according to Bitcoin principles. I'm talking trust, minimize, pseudonymous transaction denominated in Bitcoin, period. The purveyors of Bitcoin talk know something about principle. The old guard has been auctioning fine Bitcoin collectibles for Bitcoin on the Web 1.0 forum since the Satoshi days. It works pretty well for Cassius coins and <clears throat> other ancient Bitcoin artifacts, but we think it's fair to say that an upgrade that remains true to Bitcoin's principles could attract much-deserved attention from other fine Bitcoin goods. The challenge of any auction is keeping bidders accountable for paying their bids. Reputation is one approach to solving the problem, but if bad actors aren't giving up their personal information, well, they can easily create new accounts to continue well-acting badly. Another is fully collateralized bids held in escrow until the auction is complete, but collateral payments on Bitcoin get wrecked by on-chain fees, even for bids that are ultimately outbid. With Scarcity's lightning auctions, bidders can under-collateralize their bids with minimal fee lightning payments. If the winning bid, or if the winner, sorry, if the winning bidder does not pay up, they lose their collateral and the next highest bidder is crowned the auction victor. Otherwise, all bidders receive their collateral back at the end of the auction without paying on-chain fees. Here's how we've brought lightning auctions to life at Scarcity. And then they have provided a YouTube link to kind of go into it, but we're not going to do that. 
In addition to solving auction accountability with minimal cost, we can potentially make art more valuable while saving artists and buyers major headaches. Okay, so there's a little bullet point here. Authenticity. Art sold through scarce city lightning auctions is NFC equipped with certificates of authenticity that prove authenticity, ownership, and transaction values on Bitcoin. Now, we'll, we'll have to see how that one that one goes, okay? So, I have questions. I mean, just because I'm reading you about this and I'm excited about it doesn't mean that I don't have question marks, okay? So, just be aware. Secondary markets. Once an auction is complete, the work is open to offers from other prospective buyers. If the new owner accepts an offer, we coordinate logistics, keep the certificate of authenticity intact, intact and break off a piece of the proceeds for the original artist so that all parties get the most out of the artwork. Escrow. <clears throat> we hold winning payments until the item ships to its new owner. The artist gets paid when tracking is verified. Again, I got question marks all over that one. I mean, is it connecting to like a, the U, uh, UPS and FedEx tracking databases somehow? I, you know, I mean, how's, how is tracking verified? I, I need to know the details, man. Insurance. And what if the item is damaged in transit or doesn't show up at all? Well, since we work with artists to make sure the art is safely packed, we're happy to take on the meat space risk. In sum, Bitcoin auctions just got a whole lot better for everyone. We think that's something Mr. T can get down with. Lightning auctions will debut soon. That soon, TM. With a very special work of Bitcoin art, sign up for our mailing list to be the first to know. And then they give a place clearly where you can put your email address. So, <clears throat> you know, what do you think? Well, this is, you know, man, this kind of shit is like what Lightning is built for. When it, well, one of the things that Lightning is built for. Um, and it's, it's just going to get better. Okay, now, again, I have question marks all over this. You know, is this, is this going to work? Well, I have no doubt that it can work. The question is, will it work? And also, you know, this whole blog post talks about art. But honestly, man, this is a complete eBay replacement system. It's just using Satoshis. I could auction off, like, I don't know, I got an old amplifier, like a, a Fender, uh, Fender Black, uh, Black, Silver Face Twin Reverb that I could probably let go of and, you know, help to stack some sats. But I don't even have to stack sats. I don't have to use the proceeds to stack sats. I'm already doing it. So if I can find a way to ship that heavy son of a bitch for some kind of, you know, relatively affordable fee... <clears throat> and somebody wants to buy this amplifier, there's no reason why I can't use something like this. As long as I can ship it, as long as I can verify that I have shipped it, as long as it shows up, you know, and not in pieces, then I should be able to get paid. Question is, will it work? If it does work, how well does it work? All that type of thing. But there's no reason in the world this can't work, especially with what they're thinking of with you know, secondary markets, authenticity, escrow, insurance, you know, the, these kind of things that are basically the tent poles of being able to hold, you know, a really good auction. And thankfully, they're not going to get into shit. Well, it sounds to me like they have no intention of shit coinery, <clears throat> which in my opinion is one of the reasons why, um, oh, was Brian Hoffman's gig bizarre is just just doesn't seem to be working out. And I, he, when he picked a fight with a whole bunch of people that are, were just tired of the shit coinery, you know, and he, he picked that fight at the exact same time that a whole bunch of other people did shit. Like, was it, 
oh, uh, what was that thing that you had a paywall to read an article? And then the guy went full on Craig Wright. I can't remember his name anymore because he's been out of the scene for so long. And then he did something like Money Button and I don't know, man. Anyway, so all these people, these old schoolers, they started these companies and then they immediately took a giant crap on the thing that, that caused them to start the company in the first place. And even if you do believe that it's okay to have shit coinery, what, you know, one of the things that that sets off in, your, in the back of your mind is, well, how convicted are these people? You know, I mean, honestly, if you're going to immediately turn your back on the very thing that made the whole thing possible, then how convicted are you? At what point do you just turn around and say, you know what, I'm just selling it for fiat. We're just going to do the whole thing in fiat. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of these companies did not work out at first because they showed their ass within 24 hours, it seems like. Anyway, so um, BitMEX Research is tracking the fork. If you don't know what fork I'm talking about, when we, when we talk about Bitcoin forks, it's forks all the way down. <clears throat> this has been one of the main arguments uh, for people that don't like Bitcoin to say, see, there's no value here because you can just copy it just like we said. And no, that's not the case. And we're going to find out just how bad that case is here in a second. But so Bcash, right? Um, hold on for a second. I lost, for some reason, I lost my place. How did I lose my place? Yeah, here we go. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, the last common block between BCHN and BCHA networks has now been mined. The chains may now split. The height was 661,647, and then it gives the hash number. So this is BitMEX research. And what I love about BitMEX research is that they seem to really be able to keep their, I don't know, perspective on not going full shit coinery, but still talking about shit coins. And this is, you know, I mean, these things exist in the space and you ignore them at your own risk. And you really... You know, one of the things that I think is important is being able to find all the problems with these things and, you know, say and, and use those examples as to why you don't buy this stuff. So anyway, um, they go on to talk about, let's see, after, let's see if they put anything else. Okay. on no, At 9.17, they basically stopped tracking and said that BCHN has a six block lead and there's no blocks on the BCH side, BCHA side. I have heard... It seems that there may be, you know, some blocks started coming in after they stopped reporting on it. But here's the deal. The BCHN is the Bitcoin Cash node. That is Roger Ver's camp, okay? I, I can only assume that the ticker BCH is being temporarily suspended when people talk about this stuff until they figure out who's going to, I don't know. Well, I was going to say win, but nobody wins here. It's just nothing but a whole bunch of loss. but BCHA is the Omri Sachet, if I'm saying that right, uh, was the lead developer <clears throat> for Bitcoin ABC. And that was one of the main nodes that was, uh, I don't know, supporting the, the Bcash whole thing. Anyway, he got pissed because he wants a tax on the mining fee to go to developers. Roger Ver said no. And then they had a fight. And then here we are, forks all the way down. But CoinDesk has a little bit has a little write up on it, so let's let's figure out what is being said by Muyao Shen from CoinDesk. Says Coin, uh, Bcash is split into two new blockchains again. 
It literally says that. Again, dude, his fork's all the way down. This was written on November the 15th. The Bcash network, a result of the hard fork for Bitcoin, has split into two new blockchains again. At press time, Bcash ABC has received no hash power, meaning that it is possible uh, Bitcoin Cash node or BCHN will become the dominant software of the Bcash network, according to data from Coin.Dance. The last common block among Bcash miners was 661,647 mined by Binance. The first block that split the Bcash blockchain was mined by Ampool. <clears throat> Since then, hash power has been in BCHN's favor as miners have mined multiple consecutive blocks on the network. Before the fork, 80% of miners were signaling support for BCHN. To recap, <clears throat> a group of Bcash developers led by Omri Sachet, known as BCHABC, proposed an update on the Bcash network, which it has included a controversial new Coinbase rule, which requires 8% of mined Bitcoin cash to be redistributed to BCHABC as a means of financing protocol development. The upgrade is opposed by another group from the Bcash community, known as Bcash Node, or Bitcoin Cash Node, who removed this so-called miner tax from their source code. When some nodes on the network adopt a hard fork and others don't, then the blockchain will split into two different versions, one with the old software and one with the new software. Prior to the hard fork, prices of Bcash plummeted to as low as $237, down by 7.5% from an earlier high of $256, according to data from Coindesk20. I don't know, that sounds, that sounds weird. Anyway. Uh, if BCHABC does not attract enough hort, uh, hash power to produce a viable blockchain, the ABC blockchain would, in theory, disappear. Although, as we all know, Zomble coins are around forever. <clears throat> Once you spin one of these sons of bitches up, it, it, they just don't die. I don't know why. Shit, BitConnect. I was getting ha I'd said something about how BitConnect was still being traded. And the first reply to that tweet was some... was. Uh, BCC underscore community or something like that, telling me all, extolling all the values and virtues of freaking BitConnect. I'm not lying. This is not a joke, man. That Ponzi went down in flames like two years ago, and there are still people that are shilling that shit. So beware with, if you ever spin up a coin, it's never going to die. Even if nobody gives shit about, you know, a shit about it, it's just going to be one of, Thousands of Zomble coins walking around just wanting to suck the money out of people's wallets. <clears throat> to finish this one off, it says, Most major crypto exchanges have announced that they are likely to support BCHN and it will inherit the BCH ticker. So until somebody is a clear-cut winner, and that <clears throat> may end up happening by the end of the show, I don't know. It's not that important, but it is going on, okay? And, you know, once... Like I said, fork, you know, forks, forks all the way down is not the way to run, <laughs> run your chain, man. Now, people who actually do know better, although are still shit coiners like Barry Silbert, uh, at least they know that, that there is, you know, where the real value does lie, even if they are pushing shit coins on other people. But Grayscale buys four, $240 million in Bitcoin in largest capital raise week ever. Eken Gene Eken 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 Jenk. Wow, that's a weird name. E K I N G E N C. Wow, and that's not even really a C. That's a little C with a little tail hanging off the end of it. So I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's name. 
Anyway, he's writing this yesterday. <clears throat> Actually, no, two days ago. Grayscale, which runs the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, uh, bought this week another 15,114 Bitcoin. Holy cap. Grayscale, a digital assets management company, this week bought another 15,000 Bitcoin or $241 million worth, bringing the total number of Bitcoin the company owns to 506,000 Bitcoin or 800 8.1 billion dollars. The company now manages a total of $10 billion worth of cryptocurrency. Grayscale is among the biggest purchasers of Bitcoin. Its total investments comprise 2.29% of Bitcoin's entire market cap. Let me repeat that because it's dangerous. Its total investment compromise, or, uh, comprises 2.29%. That's 2.29% of Bitcoin's entire market cap. <clears throat> Michael Sonnenschein, Managing Director of Grayscale, declared this week the cat largest capital raise week ever after the firm raised $262 million. He said that on Thursday, the company raked in over 15 or $115 million in Bitcoin alone. The company runs various trusts, pools of private investors' money that Grayscale uses to buy up cryptocurrencies. Shares in the trust trade publicly. Their prices roughly track the price of the cryptocurrencies. Its Bitcoin trust is the largest. The fees of the trust are high. Yeah, this is why I don't do this. <clears throat> and shares generally reflect an overpriced purchase of Bitcoin, but they make sense for people who want to trade crypto on the stock market for some it's the only way to get exposure to cryptocurrencies from tax-efficient accounts. Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which was created in 2013 as the company's biggest trust, total value of assets managed by Grayscale Bitcoin Trust now exceeds $8.2 billion. The Grayscale Trust holds 481,711 Bitcoin, which corresponds to 62% of the 814,359 Bitcoin in the ownership of publicly traded companies, according to data from BitcoinTreasuries.org. I think I think that's Novak's uh, website that he's keeping track of who's owning what as far as traded companies are. Uh, the price of Bitcoin is 15911 at time of writing and decreased 1.54% in the past 24 hours. Okay, so Barry Silbert's got a lot of Bitcoin, and that's dangerous. <clears throat> but here's the good news. Nobody's got shit to say about it. If you don't want Barry to have that much Bitcoin, then you probably need to start buying Bitcoin and better yet, you probably need to tell most of your, you know, all of your friends and any idiot that you meet on the street that they need to buy Bitcoin. Because without that, then Barry and Michael Saylor and all, you know, all the other folks, they're going to be in a position to buy enough that it's kind of scary. I mean, let's be, let's be honest about it. I mean, I like Michael Saylor, but I like him now. I've liked people in the, in the past and then see them turn full shit coin. I mean, after you think that you trust somebody and that they've got a good head on their shoulders and then all of a sudden they wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to put on my little boy pants and go shitcoin for a while. It's possible. And, and again, remember, I like Mike. I, I do. I'm not saying anything bad about him, but I'm like, I'm wary when people own this much Bitcoin. But again, the good news, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. There's not a damn thing I can do about it. Nobody can stop anybody from buying Bitcoin. That's, that's a good thing. Fidelity's crypto arm responds to six common Bitcoin criticisms. <clears throat> Dude, so Fidelity is going to fight the FUD at the institutional level. This, this is important. This was written today. Four Coin Desk by Sebastian Sinclair. 
Fidelity Digital Assets, a subsidiary of Fidelity Investments, has responded to some of Bitcoin's most frequent criticisms, suggesting clarity is needed amid heightened interest in the cryptocurrency. In a blog post on Thursday, Director of Research Ria Brutoria said she was addressing persistent criticisms and misconceptions about the cryptocurrency. These include whether Bitcoin is too volatile to be a store of value, has failed as a means of payment, and is environmentally wasteful. Quote, Bitcoin's volatility is a trade-off that makes for perfect supply inelasticity and an intervention-free market. Wow, good job. She said, but with greater adoption and introduction of derivatives and investment products, volatility may continue to drop. <clears throat> According to Batoria, the world's first cryptocurrency's core use case isn't in payments. However, it uses its limited capacity for settling transactions that aren't well served by traditional rails and offers high settlement assurances. Quote, limited throughput is the trade-off Bitcoin makes for decentralization, which is a direct result of cheap and easy validation, she wrote. Yeah, see, that's, see, she actually gets it. So you got cheap, easy, and decentralized. And I mean, there's, there's, you know, cheap or cheap and easy, decentralized and large throughput. Pick any two. It is the same problem every computer scientist and designer of no matter what. Even if you're designing a fast food place, there's a trade-off somewhere. There's usually three pillars that you need to at least service, and you're going to only be able to do two of them, right? So even she gets it. Even, even she gets it, okay? The post responds to Bitcoin's reputation for sucking up vast amounts of energy in the mining process, arguing a substantial portion of its power consumption comes from renewables. Further, the energy it does expend is a, quote, valid and important use, end quote. Bitcoin's transactions connected to illicit activity are very low, Batoria went on, addressing a common criticism of cryptocurrencies in general. Like cash, Bitcoin is neutral and has properties that may be valuable to good actors and bad actors. As for the argument that Bitcoin isn't backed by anything such as real-world assets, it is in fact backed by a code and the consensus that exists among its key stakeholders was Butoria's response. Bitcoin is growing because people recognize it offers perfect scarcity, transaction irreversibility, and seizure and censorship resistance. Shit. Man, these people are starting to really come in line here, man. Finally, on the threat that a competitor might someday replace Bitcoin, she argued that while alternatives have tried to improve upon Bitcoin's limitations, such as limited transaction throughput and volatility, it has been at the cost of the core properties that make Bitcoin valuable. Uh, so, fidelity out there fighting FUD at the institutional level. Good on you. Belarus launches crypto exchange as tech industry collapses. Well, that's what happens when you have a complete authoritarian regime for a while. Uh, again, Ekin Jenk is going to write this one for Decrypt.co, and he does so on November the 15th. The state-owned Bank of Belarus, Europe's most authoritarian country, but equally one of the friendliest towards cryptocurrencies, this week launched a cryptocurrency exchange per local media outlet Prime Press. The exchange, a partnership between Belarus Bank and Whitebird, a local cryptocurrency firm, lets Belarusians and Russians buy Bitcoin with a Visa payment card. I wonder how long that's going to last. The launch is the latest signal that the Belarusian government welcomes crypto. But whereas the government once used crypto to charm tech workers to the country two years ago, 
Unrest in the post-Soviet nation may drown out its open for business messaging. Belarus cryptos or Belarus's crypto play started in 2018 when the government legalized cryptocurrency trading and granted tax exemptions to individuals and businesses. It was part of a viral marketing campaign to entice tech companies to set up shop in the country with a promise that it would leave them alone with much success. In 2019, the latest year of statistics, Belarus had 1,500 tech companies accounting for 5.7% of the Belarusian GDP and 50% of its growth last year. However, many tech workers fled the nation after violent protests broke out this summer when Alexander Lukashenko, Belarus's president, sought a sixth term in office. Lushenko was secretly sworn in late September. Protests continue, quote, There are now reports of most software companies moving their operations to Russia, and with that, many engineers relocating to either Russia, Ukraine, or the Baltic states. Philip Rambusik, a London-based political analyst of Eastern Europe, told Decrypt, Pandadoc, a large documentation automation firm, had four of its managers in Minsk jailed for supporting the protest. Later, the company conducted an internal survey and found that 8 in 10 of its employees, many Belarusians, simply wanted to leave the country. The office has now relocated to Ukraine. If anybody is thinking Ayn Rand at this point, that's exactly what you should be thinking about. The protest and the government's brutal response to them knocked out the country's tech industry. Many of the tech sector workers, generally sympathetic to the anti-Lushenko movement, are now gone. Now, they took their productivity and they left, dude. Quote, the software industry is the only sector that had actually prospered under Lushenko, and now it's collapsed, Rambusik told Decrypt. Tech has become the country's major export. Last year, its tech industry was worth $2 billion. Joe Mooney, a Russia and former Soviet Union analyst at the London-based corporate investigations firm CNF Partners, told Decrypt, quote, tech is the only industry in Belarus that is largely left alone by the government and that it proposed or prospered as a result of that. In August, more than 2,500 tech CEOs, developers, and investigators, or investors, sorry, signed a petition in support of the protest and raised alarm bells about the future of tech in the country. Mooney said the state's partnership in this venture may indicate plans to increasingly interfere in the sector of the economy in light of tech business support for recent protests, but also an awareness that the country's economic development depends on growth and innovation in this area. Charming them back with crypto might not work anymore, though. <clears throat> yeah. Um, again, Atlas Shrugged. You know, I, I don't even have to read the book. I, I you know, I from what everybody says, eh, you know, the movies, which were terrible, by the way, but still got the point across. You know, honestly, what it really is about is you push hard enough as a force, whether it's government, any kind of authoritative force that somehow or another has sway and say over what you do will eventually find all the productive people fleeing like rats from a sinking ship. And they'll be the first, they'll be the first to go because they'll be the first to know. Okay, these are these are the, the the productive people in in your society. Somehow or another, have like this weird, you know, they can smell things that nobody else can smell, and once they smell it, they're like, "We gotta go. We gotta get out." This shit. That's why Albert Einstein left Germany. He knew. He just knew, and it wasn't because he was was a mathematician. He had something else. All right. All these people that are that have the potentiality to be productive have this sixth sense of shit is about to break loose. We got to get 
the F out. And honestly, I feel that way about the United States right now, which is why I'm desperate for Texas to secede. I know you're going to laugh. You're going to point, laugh and go, ha ha, then leave, bitch. Fine. Laugh at me. I don't care. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to carry the, the irresponsibilities of the federal government of the United States. It's not the United States that I don't like. I love the United States. I love everything about it. I love the fact that I can go to Minnesota and somebody is a completely different type of person than I am. Or I can go to California or Oregon or Florida and all these people are different and there's different cuisines. It's like a mishmash of a thousand different countries all in one country. There's nothing not to love about that except the federal government is pissing all over it. And somehow or another, nobody can stop them. And they're turning into the very thing that we fought against to build the country in the first damn place. Same shit's happening in Belarus. It's happening all over the world. At one point or another, enough people are going to get pissed off enough and they're going to do something about it. And when you have 6 billion people rise up all at once, which may very well happen, then I, I would not want to be a government employee. And if I was, I wouldn't tell anybody, honestly. Because even if you're just a low rung on the totem pole type, you know, secretary, just the fact, I mean, because once people get pissed off and those pitchforks and torches come out, you don't want to be anywhere close to that shit. And you certainly don't want to have any signs hanging around your neck saying, I may be the enemy. I'm just saying, man, We've seen this shit happen. It's not like this shit. This isn't fiction, right? This is history. This has happened several times. And it looks like we may be getting back there real quick. With that said, let's run the numbers. Gazing at the crystal ball of the future that is cnbc.com forward slash futures and commodities, I see that we are saved again somehow. I honestly, man, the, the markets are a mess. I mean, they've just, they're just, they've been flashing the false, false signaling for so long that I think we're used to it and we think that this is normal. I don't think this is normal, but oil all of a sudden today is up almost four points on Brent or on, on uh, West Texas Intermediate. It's up three and a half points on Brent North Sea. So we're talking about $44.30 for a barrel of Brent North Sea. And then we got natural gas down five and a half points. It's trading at $2.83 for a thousand cubic feet of that. This is weird, right? So gold is down almost a point. It's going to come in at 1871 Silver's down a point and a half. Platinum is down a point, but copper's up two points. Palladium's up, meh. And then we get into the index futures. So the Dow futures are up uh, 1.75. S&P futures are up 0.19. S&P mid mini, or uh, sorry, S&P mini is up 2.2. NASDAQ futures are completely sideways. So I guess we're saved. Yay. I don't know. Let's talk about real money. Bitcoin on a rally. A local rally, by the way, $16,301. I got a high. It's going to be over at Coinbase Pro, $16,309. And I have a low. It's going to be at HitBTC, $16,274. Sorry, excuse me. 272,000 transactions have been performed in the last 24 hours. It's pretty high for a Monday morning. 
11,334 transactions on average per hour. That's 2.37 million BTC being sent in that period. Uh, 99,000 BTC are being sent on average every hour on the hour and 8.74 BTC is the average transaction value while the median transaction value is 0.029 BTC, just a hair under 400 bucks. Block times are pretty low, nine minutes. We have 0.3 BTC being taken on a per block basis for fees and 49.8 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, bump in hash rate to the upside, 3.89% brings us to 124 exahashes per second. But that, I don't know, that kind of doesn't, well, I guess with the difficulty change, yeah, that would give us like, you know, nine the nine minutes. Ethereum, BK, oh, okay. Barbecue man. You're really cramping my style here, dude. I'm going to do Bcash just because Bcash is forking all the way down. Now, see, here's the deal is that I don't know, at this point, I don't know what BCH stands for is the ticker on this one. Okay, because this is coming from bidinfocharts.com. I got a price here of $248. It had a wild dip to the downside. It looks like it's kind of recovering a little bit, but I don't know what what is BCH at this point. And you know, no, no fault to bidinfocharts.com. Every time one of these idiots gets it, you know, gets it in their head that they're going to fork it all the way down. You know, I think, I think, you know, technologists, engineers, software developers, I think they're tired of it. I honestly think that every time at this point, I think every time somebody even talks about a Bitcoin fork, people over at Trezor and Ledger just groan. I remember when they had to scramble or get, you know, put, face potential lawsuits, they had to scramble to get a functional Bcash wallet into their shit because they, if they didn't, they weren't going to be able to, I don't know, do the, you know, do the uh, forked coins thing. And then they get in trouble from their, you know, people that bought their wallet. I get the feeling people are getting tired of this shit, honestly. So anyway, uh, Dogecoin is as, as it always is hovering around $0.0028 again with, um, oh my God, this is really funny. Okay. 39,000, almost 40,000 transactions for Doge, right? That's kind of normal. And that as normal beats out Ethereum classic, but check out Bcash's transactions in the last 24 hours. This is, well, again, they might've, I don't know the, 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 information feed on this, you know, uh, bit info charts may be down because BCH isn't a functional ticker at this point. I don't know if it is, then Bcash has only had 9,392 transactions in the last 24 hours. And that's just so sad. We have eight blocks that are waiting to clear. Those blocks are going to carry with them 4,129 transactions, make that 137. Um, <clears throat> 1,038 BTC are in Lightning, and we have, that means that $16.9 million is the capacity value. That's spread across 7,674 nodes, representing 35,699 channels. We have a bump in the Tor capacity. We are now at 51.2% of the Lightning network is now run over Tor. That's 531.38 BTC on that side of the network. And that is running over 2,566 nodes. Clark says there's that the price of Bitcoin is 16,308 and that the money supply is 18,544,875.4 BTC. That's gonna do it for vitals.
Welcome to part two. The morning roundup. Skype co-founder keeps personal wealth in Bitcoin and Ethereum. I just forget the last part. John Tallinn, an Estonian engineer known for supporting AI research and awareness efforts, prefers his money to be digital. Liam Frost can tell us about it from Decrypt.co. This was written sometime this morning. John Tallinn, an Estonian engineer who is one of the co-founders of Skype, is holding most of his personal wealth, most of his personal wealth in cryptocurrency, and has been for some time now, according to an article published by Fortune on Friday. Since Skype was sold to eBay for around $2.6 billion in 2005, Talin has not launched any new enterprises, but has invested in many. One of them was Faculty AI, a London-based company <clears throat> focused on machine learning systems, which received digital assets from Talon on at least two occasions per the report. While Talon's investment company, MetaPlanet Holdings, backed faculty in the past and holds around 90 or sorry, 9% of its shares. The Skype co-founder also gifted the UK firm thousands of dollars in cryptocurrency. In January 2018, Talin gave faculty 350 Ethereum worth around $434,000 at the time and roughly 160000 today. That's, that, no, that's, that's irresponsible. In March of 2020, the engineer followed up with a 50 BTC gift. This one was worth 316000 according to faculty's public uh, financial filings, but has surged to over 810000 during the recent Bitcoin rally. Not irresponsible. It's only irresponsible if you're not irresponsibly long. Since he holds most of his personal funds in crypto anyway, he told the outlet, it was much easier to invest this way. Selling the coins for cash would have incurred capital gains tax and reduced the amount of money Talin was able to give to the faculty. In the end, the transfer proved to be much trickier for the UK firm itself since traditional bookkeeping is not entirely up to speed with a rapidly developing world of digital assets. Quote, our accountants had to go and find someone else who was working on crypto and how to do accounting for crypto, faculty's founder and CEO Mark Warner told the outlet. Since then, the company sold around $144,000 worth of Ethereum in 2019 and 2020, but reportedly held on to most of the crypto it received from Tallinn. While Ethereum is still far from its late 2017, early 2018 highs, Bitcoin price is certainly getting back there. Again, you are irresponsible if you're not irresponsibly long. Uh, not investment advice. Tech co-founder embraces Bitcoin after years of dabbling. No, this is somebody completely different. These are these, this falling like dominoes, people. Scott Cipollina is going to tell us about this one. Again, written sometime this morning for Decrypt, uh, Yogan McCabe, chairman and co-founder of customer relations giant Intercom, has announced via Twitter that he has fully embraced Bitcoin. And another one bites the dust. A number of big name investors and businessmen have become Bitcoiners in recent months with the likes of MicroStrategy's Mike, Michael Saylor, Twitter's Jack Dorsey, and billionaire investor Stanley Druckenmiller all getting behind the famed cryptocurrency in recent months. Now the list is growing again. Quote, I would like to announce that after years of dabbling, I've jumped firmly onto the Bitcoin wagon, McCabe said in a tweet. <laughs> Here's the actual tweet. It says, I would like to announce that after years of dabbling, I finally jumped firmly into the Bitcoin wagon and would now like everyone else to do the same. <laughs> McCabe 
added that he would now like everyone else to do the same. The chairman didn't specify what convinced him to jump on the Bitcoin bandwagon, but recommended an interview between Morgan Creek digital partner Anthony Pompliano and Parallax digital CEO Robert Breedlove. Both are passionate Bitcoiners. At the time of writing, it's unclear exactly what form jumping on the Bitcoin wagon has taken for McCabe. He has not publicized how much Bitcoin he may have bought, but we know that the intercom chairman has come on board during a time of significant positive growth for Bitcoin. Bitcoin's price is currently hovering at $16,188. This represents a 6.4% increase during the last week, as well as a 37% jump over the last three months. Price action that's not going unnoticed. No, it is not. Citibank analyst makes a tentative $318,000 Bitcoin prediction for December 2021. I almost fell out of my chair. This is Citibank, okay? So also in other Citibank news, they've completely, completely scrapped and has for a while. You know, it was brought back to our attention via, you know, various social media. But at first, you know, Citibank said that this thing was you know, Bitcoin was just bad and they weren't going to do anything. And then they started developing their own Citibank coin and they were trying to figure out they had like five different blockchains running all at the same time because they were doing quote unquote research. And then I think they were like slated to work with JP Morgan and on their bullshit coin and all of that's just collapsed. And they finally just said, fuck it, man. Citibank analyst makes tentative $318,000 Bitcoin prediction for December of 2021. This is written by Jack Martin for Cointelegraph. A recent Bitcoin technical analysis prepared by CityFX for its institutional clients points to a potential high of $318,000 sometime in December of 2021. Jeez, God, that's bullish. That's even more bullish than me. Hell, that's even more bullish than a lot of people I know. I mean, $318,000 per coin on December 2021. Look, I'm not naysaying. I'm not being bearish, but I am. I have to admit at a certain level of sheer jaw-dropping surprise that Citibank, who started out hating Bitcoin, is now looking at this shit with all the tools that they have going $318,000. Man, dude, that's bullish, dude. As highlighted... By Twitter commentator Alex on November the 14th, the exact figure is a little is of little value over such a long time frame. However, the analysis does suggest the Bitcoin price is likely to continue to go up and a lot. That's actually a direct quote. Describing Bitcoin as 21st century gold, the analyst Tom Fitzpatrick first looks at the long-term trend of Bitcoin price characterized as it has been by unthinkable rallies followed by painful corrections. Notable, however, or notably, however, the three major bullish periods of BTC so far have been increasing in length. Initially, there was a 10-month run from 2010 to 2011, followed by a two-year run from 2011 to 2013, and finally, the three-year run that covered 2015 to 2017. Conversely, Fitzpatrick posits that the period of correction following the last two bull runs has remained stable at around 12 months. This according to the analysis, places us squarely in the middle of a bull run which started in early of 2019 and is potentially set to run for four years until late 2022. It could be argued that such an extended bull run would lead to even higher levels and charting what looks like a very well-defined channel over the past seven years gives Fitzpatrick his prediction of $318,000 Bitcoin price in December of 2021. 
While conceding that this figure may seem highly improbable, he points out that this would be only, only be a low to high rally of 102 times, the weakest rally so far in percentage terms, at a point where the arguments in favor of Bitcoin could well be at their most persuasive ever, end quote. These arguments include a change in the United States Federal Reserve's monetary policy, which occurred when the coronavirus pandemic hit. This was characterized by a vast and sustained increase in new money production with less intention to constrain this once the economy and employment picks up again. So we got, I don't know, man, maybe we're in. Who knows? I, it's, it's, it's impossible to tell. I've been asked uh, by people if I think we're in a bull run. I think that's clear now, but it was not so clear to me. Like, certainly it wasn't clear to me in March holding through that freaking dip. Um, you know, it it didn't really become clear to me until I'm going to say late October that it's that it was like, I don't know, man, if I were to deny a, a bull market at this point, I'd probably be the last person to figure it out. So, and you never want to be last, but you also never want to be first. Uh, like this, these people. IBM enters a blockchain-focused partnership aimed at the clothing industry. Zelzhenko Zelzhenkov is writing this one for CryptoPotato.com, and I'm sorry for the butchering of your name, sir. Again, this was, well, this was updated on November the 16th, so probably written yesterday or something. Tech giant IBM is partnering, partnering up with the textile company Kayo, or I'm sorry, Kaya and Kato to create a blockchain-based network to track sustainable clothing production. The platform is to bring transparency to the creation process of the product. The new partnership between IBM and Kaya Kato will also be supported by German Federal Ministry for Economic Development, the BMZ. According to an official announcement, the technology pioneer, who is literally not a pioneer any longer, will cooperate with the textile company in aims to bring further transparency to the entire manufacturing process. The platform is reportedly constructed to face a number of customer needs concerning the whole process of clothing manufacture. The technology will bring some more transparency about the process, starting with the origin of garments and fibers to the completion of the end product. The network will also let consumers know if their clothes are sustainably produced or not. As per the publication, the new blockchain implementation will also document and trace the whole textile supply chain. It will allow suppliers of organic cotton and Kaya Kato customers to keep track of the origin of the fabrics and understand each production and distribution step. Another fundamental aim is to create transparency in this part of the fashion industry and to develop a secured protocol for the traceability of ecological materials. According to IBM, this is led by fear. I'm, I'm sorry, increasing consumers' demand to understand the environmental impact of the products they buy. The tech company has conducted a recent survey out of fear in which 77% of consumers said that sustainability is important to them and 57% surveyed said they are willing to change their purchasing habits to produce negative impact on the environment. The transaction data recorded in blocks on the chain will be accessible to all partnering parties. As many economies go through the changes of a modern world, blockchain technology has been proving its applicability, apl applicability, whatever, to many industries, among which car manufacturing, mining, electronics, food cultivation, and distribution are involved. 
The novel technology continues to show its advantages, even in highly niche environments like aerospace for that matter. As Crypto Potato recently reported, the aerospace giant Thales announced it would use blockchain for the development of its digital management system and improved interconnectivity between its, all its applications, thus complying with NATO standards as well. Okay, this entire thing, okay, this entire thing is driven by fear. That's why I was inserting that word a couple of times. IBM is the 88th largest asset on the planet. Bitcoin is 20. Bitcoin is much larger than IBM. IBM sees their, although honestly, IBM has been seeing their uh, grasp on technology and being able to be a, a market leader slip for decades now. I mean, the last time IBM was a thing was the introduction of the PC. That was, the, that was honestly, that was IBM's last hurrah, and that was in the 80s, okay? So for decades, IBM has been slipping into, you know, oh, like a senescence. It's just plugging along. It's making enough money to pay all of its people, I guess. I don't know what its debt load is. Um, but they're, at this point, they're literally reaching for everything that they never would have reached for before, to save their skinny ass. And I don't think it's going to work. I mean, I think IBM's going to be around for a while, but it'll be a zombie company. And this whole thing with, you know, it's, it, it, this speaks of fear for a couple of reasons. One is that they're trying to marry this new technology with these surveys of customers that said that 47% of them would think they'd think about it. They would absolutely think about changing the, the, their habits and whatnot. And, <laughs> And they want to marry blockchain to it and come up with some kind of thing that people are going to use. And, you know, nobody's going to use it. There, nobody's going to use it. There, there's, there's no incentive to use it. Unless, unless the people, the customers that are truly concerned with all this bullshit are willing to pay you money to, you know, like pay a tax, uh, a further, like a blockchain tax on top of what they're buying, the clothes that are listed on the blockchain so that the clothes themselves becomes the token of value and they get some money back for it to keep like nodes up. And even if they do keep nodes up, it has to be centralized. You know, I mean, Karen, after she buys her blouses, doesn't give a shit about going home, grabbing a raspberry Pi, hooking up to the network and, and downloading the software to support IBM cotton chain. Nobody gives a shit. And that's why these things fail. When nobody gives a shit, your chain dies. Actually, never, well, as I said before, chains never die. They just turn into zombies, okay, and walk around and want to suck value out of everything that they see. It's like zombies like brains, like zombies like cash, you know, and fiat. In either event, this it, it's a complete bullshit story. Um, but the reason I'm reading it to you is because you need to understand that these large companies are starting to run, are, they're starting to get scared. They've been getting scared for a while, but when I see somebody like IBM you know, yet one more time say that they're going to do something on the blockchain. It's just, you know, I don't know. If you're holding IBM, that may, it may be a time to trade that in for something else in technology if that's where you're more comfortable with. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, well, I'm not going to be able to bring you a train wreck. Um, honestly, just let the, the, the B-cash fork stand in as the train wreck for the day. 
Um, but we do have a, as usual, we do have a, a dad joke. Uh, dad says, I told my daughter, go to bed. The cows are sleeping in the field. She said, what's that got to do with anything? I said, that means it's past your bedtime. Yeah, I'll just let that one sit down with you. If you don't get it now, maybe it'll be like a, a joke grenade where you kind of pull the pin and throw it and wait to see what happens. Anyway, um, is there, God, is there anything else? I don't think so. It's going to be a really weird week. I guess we're just going to wait and see what happens to BCH. It may, it may actually all be over, but the crying as of today. Um, I did see a couple of tweets where... Bitcoin ABC node did mine some blocks or at least one block, but I don't know where it stands right now. I'll look at it later. I got, I got bigger fish to fry, but that will be going on, you know, either today or all week long, depending on how fast it takes to, to go zomble. Um, the lightning auction stuff, don't, you know, don't take that lightly. That lightning auction shit could very well be the next eBay. And if it's the next eBay, then, well, if, I mean, honestly, if it's the next eBay, you're talking about billions of dollars, all right? You know, at le- minimum, minimum, hundreds of millions of dollars. If it works, if it's easy to use, if it has the exposure that it needs, and I, I guess I should say a few words about exposure right now. You know, as you know, for a while, um, without being asked, uh, without being shilled, uh, and without getting paid for it, I have told y'all about many products in this space. And um, sometimes I do good. Sometimes I really do do good. Sometimes it's like, meh, I don't think I've brought to you a complete shit, you know, product. But like, you know, me shilling Shamari, you know, dude, I'm not getting paid for that. Why the hell do I do it? Well, because I have this, I have this theory that we're in this, <clears throat> we're in this space, in in Bitcoin time where, I believe that it would behoove us to help each other out, as much as possible, with you know like in in the church uh, that I go to, we talk about you know time and treasure and talent, the, the three T's, time, treasure and talent. <clears throat> So you either spend your money to support something um, or you know how to do something that nobody else in the congregation knows how to do. So you do it for free. Um, And then all of that, you know, all of that, of course, represents time, whether you're spending your, you know, your talent on something or you're spending your treasure on something. Your treasure also represents your time. Right. So it seems important. Like it it just, I don't know, it just kind of dawned on me that like if, you know, a couple of podcasters, you know, started, you know, kind of got together, not as like, you know, a company or anything like that, but just kind of coordinated with each other and say, lit, lit, this week, let's shill lightning auctions. Let's shill the shit out of it. Let's talk about it all the freaking time. And we're going to do that all week long. You know, what is it, is it possible that that would help? You know, I mean, because ultimately what you want to get to is a point where you've, you know, People have been able to shill the shit out of good products. I'm not talking about crap. I'm not talking about stuff that'll rip you off. I'm not talking about DeFi. I'm talking about actual products or services that are, you know, Bitcoin uh, centric and have, you know, people behind it uh, that are ethically sound and have them actually start making money like crypto cloaks. 
you know, I've shielded crypto cloaks before on this show. They're not, they're not paying me any money. They're not a sponsor. That's okay. You know, I don't mind giving over some of my time to talk about, you know, the fact that crypto cloaks is that they are purchasing their seventh, get this, their seventh 3d printer because of the load that they've got to clear through. They've got that many orders that they are having to expand. Now, if we, like if a whole bunch of us got together and we're saying, okay, well, let's chill crypto cloaks to, to everybody and we'll do it for free. What happens if they end up with 14 printers, 25 printers? At what point or another, do they remember the people that helped them along the way and say, we're now in a position where we're not fucking broke and we have some money. And maybe at that point, you know, do some sponsorships or just flat out like patronage or whatever like that. I, I just see it as we're, we're in a spot where we can do something that's never been done before. And that is literally to help each other bootstrap ourselves out of this fiat nightmare that we've, that we were born into because it didn't just happen overnight. This shit was, this shit was on the rocks before I was born. I mean, and before I, before I, when I was born, it was before Nixon took us off the gold standard. I know that dates me and everything. I mean, I didn't know anything about Nixon. I was really, really young, but still, you know, I was literally born before 1971. And that's when the last and final nail was pulled from, well, nail was not pulled, but hammered into the coffin. But even before then, the, the stage was set. I mean, we've already had a gold, we had already had a gold confiscation in the 30s and 6102 executive order. Um, the creation of the Federal Reserve before that in 1913 under highly irregular circumstances that the Congress never really had seen before, <clears throat> involving people that didn't have any business whatsoever collaborating with the United States government to build a central bank. We, we, we were all, all of us, and our parents were born into that. And our grandparents, in many, many cases, were born into that. Some of you have great-grandparents that were born under, in, into this system, and now they're talking about a great reset. I'm, I'm not even sure what the parameters of the great reset is, and a great reset is in quotes. But it seems that people are freaking out about that as well. And, I mean, honestly... As a human species, we've been freaking out for so long. I don't think we know what it feels like to just be chill. We keep talking about, hey, man, you got to chill out. There's no way to chill out in this environment. But there is a way to help each other. And that is time, treasure, and talent. Because that's what we have to offer right now. We don't have, you know, ultimate riches and big titty bitches walk, you know, dancing around in a closet full of clothes and, you know, all my hoes and all that. That's all bullshit anyway, but we don't have any of that. Some of us do, and that's fine. But most of us that are in this space are doing it because we love it, right? And this is not begging for cash. I'm just saying that it's like if you have time, talent, and treasure, consider giving it over to somebody in the space. Not all of it, some of it, just a portion. It, you know, you need to take care of yourself first, but, you know, at least think about it. You know, consider the possibility of, of finding, you know, I don't know, like a, a product that you really think is worthy of, of other people's attention and do the advertising for them because they can't afford it either. I mean, everybody's boots. I mean, I, I literally am in a barracks at this point and everybody has just woken up, getting off their cots and pulling on their boots. 
that's where we're at. And none of us, none of us <laughs> have like this extensive amount of, of Bitcoin that we can sit there and go, you know, I'm going to donate to this. I'm going to donate to that. I'm going to do this. We don't have that, but we do have time, treasure, and talent. And even if you're not religious, you don't, you don't have to be to understand how powerful four or five people coming together in, in, under a, you know, for a common cause, even if it only lasts for a week or two weeks to shill the living shit out of a product for somebody else free of charge. Maybe they'll get you back on the other side. Maybe they won't. Maybe they won't survive or maybe they'll turn out to be complete dicks. But your soul will be untouched because you tried. That's all that's really important. We have to try. It is now a moral imperative that we get ourselves out of this shit. Because this is getting bad. It's getting bad quick. And it ain't going to get any better. Not before it gets a whole shit ton worse. So help each other to help our all of us lift ourselves out of this muck and this human filth that we find ourselves in and we will all be in a much better place. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.